Have you heard of this new sparkling water trend that's going around? There always seems to be the same brand in the hands of all sparkling water drinkers. And after trying it for myself, I now totally understand why. For the rest of you out there who haven't yet experienced this super delicious drink, I'm really happy to introduce to you La Croix. La Croix Sparkling Water is a calorie sweetener and sodium innocent beverage with nothing artificial. Each water is all natural, non GMO, and environmentally friendly, and flavored with fruit essences. There are over two dozen mouth watering flavors like tangerine, pineapple, and peach pear, as well as their specialty and bolder La Croix curate flavors like pombaya or apple berry. My favorites right now are the passion fruit and kiwi sandia, which is the kiwi watermelon. It's so good. These drinks are so refreshing and tasty, I might just be a little addicted. Make the switch to La Croix sparkling water, a healthier alternative for you and your lifestyle. What's your favorite LaCroix flavor? Share it with me on Twitter with the hashtag LaCroixWater, spelled L A C R O I X. For more information and to find your new favorite LaCroix flavor, join the LaCroix community at LaCroix Water on Instagram or check out LaCroixWater.com. That's LaCroixWater.com, L A C R O I X Water.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. I hope everyone has had a great month of January. I cannot believe we are already arriving at February. I mean, everybody always says that January is the slowest month, which I kind of agree on.、Um, but the fact that it's February already is sort of blowing my mind. We're a twelfth of the way into this year. I feel like last year flew by. It was also the slowest year of my life, somehow. <laughs>、um, but I have a feeling that 2018 is just gonna,、oh, it's just gonna be over in a flash. I'm really working on slowing down to enjoy every moment, which is a, a super challenge. Today's episode, I have actually chosen a specific topic I'm gonna talk about, <laughs> which for everyone who tunes in every week, you know that it's very rarely the case. I'm extremely unstructured, unorganized, and usually I just sit down、uh, and I start talking and I record whatever is on my mind each week whenever I'm recording alone.、Um, but this week, I actually have something in mind, and it's a topic that has that's kind of been on my mind for a while already, and、uh, I've been receiving some questions about it as well, and I've been in conversation with friends and with them. About it, we're going to talk about jealousy and competition within the yoga world. So,、um, a pretty sensitive topic, I think, and a pretty pretty big topic as well.、Uh, I also I asked through social media just a second ago for people to send in questions, and I got so many questions sent in about this topic. So, I think I'm not alone in、um, having this stuff on my mind right now. So before I dive in, in the spirit of from the heart,、uh, I'm going to share with you just for a moment from the heart how I am feeling in this in this moment right here right now.、Um, I have having this really weird head cold type thing. I don't know if you can hear by the sound of my voice that I'm a little stuffy.、Um, my baby was sick, but it was two weeks ago, and I picked up a little bit of her cold. And it just hasn't left me, so I can't forward fold. And whenever I bend down to pick something up, it's just my whole head, my sinuses—they hurt so bad. So I can't practice yoga, and this really, truly sucks for me. <laughs> I mean, of course I can. I mean, I've, I've been in a couple of classes, but I'm just miserable all throughout because I can't do a down dog, even plank and tabletop anywhere where my just. When I'm facing down with my nose toward the earth, it just doesn't work. So I end up just sitting <laughs> on my heels、um, the entire class, just kind of oh, like you know feeling really frustrated. So I haven't been practicing for almost a week, and it's showing up in different ways.、Uh, and maybe that's why I'm choosing to talk about this topic as well because <laughs> I haven't practiced in a week. I start feeling tension in my body. I mean, I start feeling like a little pain in my upper back. Just stuff that happens. I start feeling a little stagnant. Um, when I don't practice yoga, and I know from experience, of course, that stagnation or tension in the body very quickly moves to the mind,、uh, and that's how it goes, right? It also it goes both ways. Like tension in the mind gets stuck in the body, but tension in the body also goes to the mind. So it's a very important thing、um, for everyone listening and for me that we sustain ourselves with some sort of practice of self care. So for me right now, I have been diffusing a shit ton of essential oils.、Um, I have two essential oil diffusers that, my, that I'm using. One in the baby's room. We use lavender oil and just some calming, like childproof stuff for before she goes to bed. And in my bedroom, I'm diffusing eucalyptus and peppermint and all sorts of stuff just to get my sinuses to clear up. 
And I'm also meditating more, which is interesting just because I can't move on my mat. I found myself just sitting down. Like if I have those 15 minutes when the baby's sleeping or whatever, and I just, yeah, I, I use my essential oils and I just sit. And it's been a nice change. But um, yeah, I need, I need my asana, man. <laughs> I, I really, really do. Um, yeah, so apologies in advance if I have to blow my nose mid-podcast recording. I really hope not. But I wanted to touch on this topic because, okay, um, I know this is the, the topic of competition and jealousy in the yoga world. Everybody deals with this. Um, really, really true. I think anyone who's like, oh, no, I never cared about that or I never heard about that. I don't think that's that's really true. At least if you are a yoga teacher, you teach in a community where there is um, an abundance of yoga or where there is not. Uh there's something about this industry because that's also part of this conversation, part of this topic is um, when we start teaching yoga, we start doing yoga for a living. It actually becomes um, becomes our, our means of supporting ourselves, how we sustain our families, how we pay our bills at the end of the month. Um, we're also taking part in what we call the yoga industry. Um, so very separate from the practice of yoga, the ancient philosophy of yoga, and, you know, the root core of the practice that so many of us find so sacred and so beautiful. Um, what's blossomed from that is all the frills that come along with practicing yoga in the Western world. So if you're taking classes at a studio, you pay for those classes, right? You might be buying uh, yoga pants or a yoga mat or props that you feel like you need for your practice. You might be practicing yoga online. You might be doing immersions or workshops. So you go on retreats or maybe you take a yoga teacher training and you decide, oh, you want to deepen your practice. And you know, maybe one day you decide you want to teach yoga because this is your passion. You love it. You want to spread it to the world. And it seems like such a fun way to make a living, right? I mean, this is kind of how it goes. So whether we like it or not, most people, unless you have a home practice um, and your yoga practice just consists of you rolling at your mat at your in your home, maybe in your PJs every single day. And many people have that type of practice as well. Of course, there is many, many ways to immerse yourself in the yoga culture without having to deal with the industry of yoga but it means that um that you're practicing yoga alone at your home right um, so whenever you start paying money for the service of practicing with a great teacher you are taking part of the industry as well and there's this is such a also another controversial thing because of course many many people think that you know we shouldn't confuse yoga with the yoga industry and they need to be very separated and the more the yoga industry grows the more sensitive or the more separated we become from the actual true uh, origin and root of the practice so how can you actually merge this very sacred intimate personal thing with business right or with you know it grows goes beyond that with all of this stuff that we feel like we need to buy and um in the end we take part of this big wheel of a moving industry that yes also invites people um, that want to profit off of it and that's just how things go so uh, of course right now out there in the world there is a ton of brands and big companies and people profiting off of yoga and yoga practitioners that actually do not give a damn about this practice um, and you just have to kind of <laughs> flow with that because I think that's just the way things are. Yoga is big enough right now that there's going to be people out there that can see that there is uh, that there's money to be made there. So inevitably, I feel, especially right now, we are in this place of um, having to be fairly careful or at least mindful about where we spend our hard-earned money, um, who we choose to support, what, which teachers we practice with, where we get our clothing, our props, if we even do, right? Um, so if you start practicing yoga right now, maybe you're you're young, you find yoga through the internet somehow or through social media, or maybe you, you follow Yoga Girl on Instagram and that's how you found yoga. And that's awesome. Such a great way to find the practice beautiful. To me, it's really important that the practice doesn't stay there. You know, yoga is not something we're just meant to find online and then and then be alone in, in this online world. But it's a really deep practice between teacher and student and community is everything. So one of my first suggestions I give to people that are beginners, if they found yoga or they get interested in yoga from something they see online, is immediately find a studio close to your home so you can build community. Right, So you can find a teacher that you resonate with, so you can learn, so you can get adjusted and assists in class, um, you know, to, to really build something real around this practice. Because it's important that we continue, that we learn, and the community that grows out of yoga is 
the best part. At least it is for me, <laughs> really. The, the community that grows out of the yoga practice, the sangha, it's, it's the best, best, best part. Um, and of course, with community and with yoga studio life um, comes competition. If you're on the side of, uh, of being a yoga teacher or being a studio owner or being immersed in the industry somehow. And I find that there is, I don't know if there's a difference in communities where yoga is really abundant compared to communities where there's very little yoga. I think everywhere we go, there tends to be this idea that, uh, that we have a very limited community to choose from, which actually I don't believe is true. But the general idea is that, you know, the yoga community is very small, or if you practice or teach yoga in a, in a small city somewhere, or like me, I live on a tiny island, um, we have this idea that the yoga community is so small. So of course, we have to cherish our students and, and almost like we have to fight with other teachers to keep our students, to make sure people come to our classes. So many people um, teaching yoga, I feel, operate from this place of, of lack, if that makes sense. Um, so if we look around us and we always have this core idea that we don't have enough, that we need to get more for ourselves, we don't have enough, we're lacking, um, we're always going to look at this sort of stuff as, at other teachers and we're always going to see competition instead of community. And that's something that I struggled with a lot in my first years of teaching. Definitely, definitely. I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm definitely not above and beyond um, feeling jealous or feeling like I have to compete with other teachers or feeling catty, like I've gone through all of that. Um, but I've arrived at a place now, of, and of course, I mean, maybe someone listening is like, yeah, well, why would you care? You have millions of people following you and thriving businesses and all of that. Um, aside from that, I don't know if it's maybe maturity or maybe actually going through this stuff a lot, having a few rounds of um, being competitive or feeling jealous over other things or feeling like I'm lacking, uh, that I realized that operating from that place just brings you more lack. So if I'm teaching somewhere and I feel like, oh God, I have almost no students. There's so few people here. I have to make sure that they're all mine. Like this is my community, my people. They can't go to any other teacher. If I operate from that place of lacking, that's the energy I'm going to send out and I'm going to manifest more of that. Where truth is, and this is one of my favorite sayings that I actually repeat in class a lot. My friend Ashley Albrand told me years ago. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know, maybe 2012 or 13, um, she, she told me, you know, people are so worried about, uh, making sure they have more students and enough students and, and being able to, um, to keep all their community, all their students for themselves. But do you have any idea how many people haven't practiced yoga yet? (laughs) And I love that viewpoint. If you look at your community right now, instead of just looking at at it in a way as uh, this is how small the yoga community is. Look how few people we have practicing yoga. I have to make sure they all come to my class. Think of it from the other side of the spectrum. How many people are in your community that haven't practiced yoga yet? They're not yogis yet, but they could be. They might one day be. They will probably um, one day be. Um, and I would like to really think of it that way. Like there is billions, literal billions of people out there that have never, ever practiced yoga, that have never had any experience with this practice, that haven't even been remotely close to connecting uh, to yoga in any way. And when I think of getting new students to my studio or getting people to practice online with me or, you know, growing the community instead of thinking it, thinking of it as this pool of yoga community. So me getting new students means I have to take from someone else. I don't, I don't think like that ever. I think of who isn't practicing yoga yet, right? So who can we touch in a brand new way and invite into this community and make space for this practice? And the good thing about this too is, or at least that's how I feel, um, I don't know everything. I mean... <laughs> Hopefully anyone with a, with a good head on their shoulders is going to say that, but uh, I'm never going to sit here and say that I am the greatest teacher in the world and I can teach you everything. Like that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, I, I have really strong areas of my teaching and I have um, aspects and components of my teaching that are really unique to me that people return to again and again. But there's a lot of stuff out there that I do not know and that other people can teach way, way, way better than me. Um, so I love encouraging students to deepen their practice 
by actually seeking out other teachers, even if they've been practicing with me and with me alone for years, uh, there's going to be a point where they need to expand. At least that's, that's how I feel. Um, another saying that I love, and it's so I just had an, uh, an interview with a journalist right before recording this. We were talking about the Me Too movement and the Me Too stories that came out of the yoga community um, and why in the yoga community uh, we are so susceptible to this type of sexual abuse, you know, because we have this student-teacher relationship and there has been this guru culture um, not everywhere, but, but fairly prominent um, in, in, in the yoga culture as well. And I truly believe that um, anyone on a pedestal is pretending. Like to me, if there's someone out there, teacher, whoever, who says that they know everything, they have it all down, they are almighty, their way is the only way, I'm going to immediately turn around and walk another direction. Um, a teacher that doesn't have humility for me can never truly teach me what I need to know. There has to be a sort of humility and this um, willingness to just be human and admit that we don't know everything. But if we want to keep all students to ourselves and just gather this community and make sure that everything is for us so that we don't lack, um, there's going to be that part of your ego that's going to have to come out because you're going to have to portray yourself as a teacher who knows everything if you don't want to share the students with the, with the actual community. So if you're a student out there, I would definitely, definitely, you know, shop around for your favorite teachers, um, practice with different types of people, figure out which type of people you like to practice with. Um, and you're probably going to find that one, maybe two go-to people that you truly love, but um, that's going to change. You know, the teachers that I studied with 10 years ago, um, I don't practice with at all <laughs> today. Um, and also when it comes to style of teaching, you know, it's why I don't think one single person can say like this way is the only way and I know everything. Uh, what I taught 10 years ago is not the same as what I teach today at all. There's things I taught five years ago that I would never include in class. And why is that? Because I've learned, right? I've grown. Um, I've realized where my mistakes are and where my weaknesses have been. And I've been able to shape a new form of teaching. And probably, I hope, in five years from now, I'll be able to say the same. Like, you know, my teaching will be evolved and have, and have grown as well. And that could never happen without other teachers in my community. It could never happen without me practicing with other people, without me continuing to learn, and without me making space for other teachers in my community. You know, you are listening to From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. My skin recently discovered the most nourishing, goopy goodness that has ever been applied to it. What's the name of this moisturizing goop? Well, Goop. Goop is my new favorite skincare ritual and not just because of the name. The list of harmful ingredients that are present in most skincare products is alarming, but Goop steers clear of all of them. Other companies still test their products on innocent animals, but Goop never ever does. Goop founder Gwyneth Paltrow has finally delivered the skincare product we've all been searching for. If you're looking to set your skin up for a good day and take your own morning ritual to the next level, the Goop by Juice Beauty Exfoliating Instant Facial does exactly what it sounds like it should. It brightens and softens your skin to reveal your glowing, smoother-looking complexion. To follow up, the enriching face oil sinks in instantly so it's never greasy and turbocharges any moisturizer that you lay on top. Goop is much more than a skincare product. It's a lifestyle brand rooted in inspiration that spans travel, food, beauty, style, work, and wellness. Check out goop.com to inspire your lifestyle in beautiful new ways. Go online to goop.com slash yoga girl to get these beauty products and many more. That's goop.com slash yoga girl. Goop.com slash yoga girl. So I uh, wanted to share a couple of specific stories that were really hard for me um, and I'm sharing them with a lot of humility because um, th there's definitely a past version of me that was a bit catty yes definitely definitely um, and that also felt that I was lacking and like I didn't have enough and I was always so worried of how you know someone else is going to take my clients or my students and what if I get left with nothing even though looking at it now I never had that problem um, I, I never had a problem filling a class. I never had a problem um, keeping my students. But for whatever reason, I was operating out of this idea that I had to, you know, keep everyone. <laughs> and eventually, through that behavior, I did drive some people away. Um, so 
that's kind of kind of really what I want to get at here as well is the more we operate from that place of lack, the more this tension is going to show up in our teaching and people are going to feel inclined um, to go look for something else. Um, that's just how it goes. So um, the first story that I'm going to share with you is, and this is a really uh, specific one that's, that's, that's kind of easy to connect with, I think. So I'm going to talk a little bit about SUP yoga. <laughs> and SUP yoga is, uh, if you've never tried it, it's called stand-up paddleboard yoga. So it's yoga that we do on big stand-up paddleboards on the ocean. And it was kind of a fad, like it was a big trend years and years ago. It's definitely mellowed out now. Um, and I people sometimes say that, uh, or people ask me, you know, when I founded SUP Yoga or when I invented it, uh, I never invented SUP Yoga. I always, always, always correct them. Uh, it was one of those things that kind of blossomed and popped up in a couple of places around the world around the same time, like around the same year, I'm going to say 2010 or 2011, sometime around there. I'd never done SUP Yoga in my life. I'd never seen it. Um, but how how it happened for me or how I thought of it the first time was I would always go practice yoga on the beach, just on a beach towel when Dennis was out surfing. And one day, this was like early morning, we brought the dogs to the beach and he took one of our dogs on his surfboard. And I was in a down dog on the beach and he had the dog <laughs> surfing in a wave. And I was in my down dog and I was like, damn, like that's so cool. I wonder if I could do a down dog on the board. Like if he can actually be with a dog on the board, maybe I could do a down dog. So a couple of days later, I tried it and it didn't work. Like a normal surfboard doesn't float well. There's not enough volume to hold someone standing or doing a yoga pose on the board. So I just sank and I made a fool of myself and that was it. And then a couple weeks later, the first ever stand-up paddleboard was brought to the island. There was like a little surf shop or a little surf shack on the beach that got three stand-up paddleboards. And we walked by and I saw them and I was like, hey, that's a really big board. Like, what's it for? Because I never saw one. And he said, oh, it's actually to stand up and you like paddle standing up. It's a really cool new thing. It's growing a lot. And I said, huh, like, can I, can I see if I can do yoga on it? And the guy was like, okay, that's weird. So I took the board and I tied it into a little buoy just like a couple of meters away from the shore. And I climbed on and I was like, whoa, I wonder if I can do a down dog. Uh, and I could, like super easy. And then I did plank and then I did, you know, I did a vinyasa and I did something else and I tentatively stood up and eventually it just blossomed into this little practice that I had on my own. Like, I don't know how long I was out there, but I was having a ball. Like, it's really challenging, of course, because you're on the water and new muscle groups and you have to use your core a lot and you know but I didn't I didn't fall and I had so much fun and then when I was done I took the board back to the beach and there was a whole group of people standing there like what are you doing like what is that <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing because I'd never done it before I'd never seen it before and I said I don't know like it's like yoga on a surfboard <laughs> and these people were like oh my god can we take a class with you and I was like yeah sure sure I teach this no problem like lying through my teeth <laughs> and it was just like a family and some other people so they booked a class with me and I'd never taught it like I'd never been on the water with people I had no clue what I was doing um, and they booked a the class for a couple days later so I was like oh my god and I ran to this little surf shack and I was like guys I need to rent these boards these people want to do a class with me is there more boards somewhere how many do you have and they were like no we only have three but this other hut over there they have two so you can get five together if you if you like rent them all so they gave me a good price and then I took the board out and I just like practiced on my own and I just tried to figure out like what I had to focus on and what was hard and how I should teach it because it was it's really different, right? And then I taught that first class and I cannot even tell you how, <laughs> I'm not going to say disastrous, but yeah, it was super messy because I didn't know anything about the wind, how to anchor down, you know, how to stay really safe on the water. Luckily, we were really close to shore, so it wasn't deep or anything like that, but I'd never done this before, right? But I taught a class. This group had a blast. More people were on the beach. They saw what I was doing, and then they signed up for a class, and then little by little, this like ball started rolling, right? So I started charging kind of a lot for these classes. I had to pay a, a board rental to get the boards. I think I paid in the beginning like 20 bucks a board. And then I would charge, I don't know, $15 or something on top. So I would charge like 35 or $40 for a class, which for a yoga class is a lot of money. Um, but with the boards and everything, like these people were tourists, they didn't care. So they were like, yeah, 40 bucks, no problem. Or 35 bucks, no problem. And I started teaching. I started sharing it through social media and I was sharing all of these 
poses of me in like a handstand on the surfboard or headstand and doing all these crazy poses. And of course, I got a lot of attention and a lot of likes and comments. And it was definitely a part of me growing my uh, social media following in the very beginning was me sharing these beautiful images of doing sup yoga on the Caribbean blue water. And, you know, it was very inspirational and very beautiful. Um, And then these classes grew like crazy. Like it started getting really, really, really busy. Um, I started going to surf expos and kind of got really immersed in the community. We got our own boards. I started working with a paddleboard company that made a yoga board. Like it just grew and grew and grew. And somewhere around here, this one of these little huts that I was renting boards from, uh, that guy that had that hut saw how many people I was taking to the beach. And I was like, Dennis at the time was managing a surf shop. So I was alone and I started getting 12 boards. I would have 12 boards, 12 people that I would teach and take out onto the water. I've been doing it for maybe a year or something. So I was really good at it. I would teach every single day and I would put my 12 boards like in the back of the car and then I would rent some on the beach and run up and down and lug these really heavy 12 foot boards on my own. It would take me easily two hours to set a class up because I had these like big, heavy concrete blocks. <laughs> when I think about this, it's kind of crazy. These really heavy concrete blocks that I would have in the back of the truck wrapped with like a a string or a rope that I had and I would lug them out into the water and I would connect this uh, other rope to it with little like carabine carabiners like little carabine hooks Um, and I would set this anchor up and then I would take the boards one by one and put them out into the water and then you know it was a whole thing and then the group of people would come and I would teach the class would be like one hour long and then it would take me an hour to get all the boards back tied onto the car like it was a caravan and I did this every day And if I had two classes, like I would spend hours and hours and hours on the water in the sun, like it's really heavy work. Um, But I had all these people come every day and it started becoming a thing so that the hotels were talking about these classes and people were seeing them from the beach. And then um, the New York Times picked up on the fact that you could do stand up paddleboard yoga in Aruba with this girl called Rachel. So they wrote an article about me in the New York Times, which was, I mean, huge, huge, huge thing. I was like jumping up and down, freaking out (laughs) that, that this big... Um, you know, publication cared about what I did. So it got even bigger. But then one of these guys that were on the hut saw that I was every day taking these people out on the water. And he thought, you know what? I could do this myself. (laughs) So he decided one day, he said, you know, these boards that you're renting for 20 bucks, they're $40 now. And I was like, well, I I, I can't pay $40 for this board. Like, you know, then I I, I was charging, I think $45 for a class by then. I'm like, then I would make $5 of the class and it takes me hours. Like I can't do that. He says, oh, sorry, if you can't afford it, I guess you should just go somewhere else. So I had to make my classes smaller because I didn't have enough. Like, I think we had eight boards and then we would rent two from one place and two from another place. So I just had to make my classes smaller because this guy didn't want to rent them to me anymore, which I thought was strange because I was consistently using these boards. Anyway, And then what do you know, like a month later, all of a sudden, um, some girl who had booked my class uh, emails me like, hey, I had a hard time finding you on the beach, but it was okay because I found that other teacher uh, that teaches for you. So I took her class instead. And I was like, what? Like, I don't have another teacher that teaches for me. Like, that's super weird. And I started doing some research. And it turns out that that guy had decided like, oh, this is like a thing. We can profit off of this. So he found some other teacher that was on the island that I like didn't know. Um, that had never done sup yoga in her life, you know, that didn't know at all what this was. And this was really what I felt was my thing. You know, I had like founded this on the island. I was the first one to do it on the island. I made it famous. You know, I'm using all this stuff. I'm working with these companies. Like I really created this business for myself in Aruba. And then all of a sudden, this douchebag guy <laughs> and this random teacher um, who like, you know, wasn't even 200 hours certified or whatever, uh, started teaching on the water and they would pick up off of my own students. So people that like didn't find me, they would, I don't know, they had a hard time finding where we were. And then they would teach around the same exact hours, like a couple of meters off of, off this, to the side, you know, like thinking about this now and like, oh my God, I cannot believe that I made such a big deal out of this, but I was furious. Like, oh my God, I cannot even tell you. I was so forking pissed off. I could not believe it. And so instead of thinking about the fact like, okay, hey, people are going to know the difference between something genuine. Like I was using these yoga boards and I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I was very serious about it. 
And then there was this other people that were clearly just trying to copy something just to make money. Um, but I started freaking out. Like I fully started panicking. I'm going to lose all my students. What's going to happen? Da, 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 da. So there is that balance of, and this is another one of my favorite sayings, do no harm, but take no shit right? So how can I in that moment stay with my integrity um, and communicate to the community that, hey, like my classes are like the legitimate classes where a certified teacher teaches you who like stay safe and all the stuff that I had like planned because I had this whole proper setup of classes. And then I thought that this other girl that was teaching, I thought she was a fake. Like she's just copying me and she's not even a certified teacher and she's going to injure people. So I started talking shit. to everybody that I saw. Watch out for this other people that are teaching yoga. It's not real. They don't know what they're doing. She's not even certified. She can injure you. People can drown. I made up this whole big story that wasn't even true. Honestly, like looking at it now, I didn't care about people's safety. That's not why I was telling people left and right that there was these uncertified teachers on the water. I didn't care about people. That's not what my concern. I didn't genuinely think that she was going to drown someone. I was nervous that I was going to lose clients. So I started talking negatively and being really catty toward this girl who I didn't know and this guy who was, okay, he was kind of a douchebag, um, <laughs> but it wasn't reflecting well on me, right? Can you see that? Like having a yoga teacher that you're excited to take a class with and then all of a sudden she starts telling you about this competition and about this other uncertified teacher that's on the water. I mean, it's so unprofessional, like, ugh. I shiver a little bit just telling the story because I would never in a million years do that today. Never, 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 never. But of course, it reflected really poorly on me because not only was I talking badly about someone else who, you know, she was just trying to make a living too. Like, and who who am I to say that I have the monopoly of this style of yoga? Like, of course, if you do something good, like people are going to pick up on it and try to do it themselves. That's how things work. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. And actually, competition is a good thing. It's how markets grow. It's how we thrive. It's how we get better, right? So I had probably a couple of months because these people started gaining traction and then they were picking up on other students and they worked with a hotel that we didn't work with. So they started getting some people and some um, people coming to their classes. So I had probably about six months where I was really upset and I was like obsessing about how they were marketing this. And I was stalking this girl's Facebook page and I couldn't believe it that they were like taking my style of yoga (laughs) and doing it, like pretending they knew what they were doing and they were doing it on bad boards. And all I was doing for these six months was making myself miserable. (laughs) Like that's all I did. I was making myself miserable and I was making myself look bad by speaking poorly about someone else in front of students and people that came to my own classes. You know, super, super, super dumb move. So I don't know where the shift was. I think six months in or something, you know, we were traveling a lot. So I guess I I got a second teacher to teach my classes and I started letting go a little bit of the idea of like, oh, this is my thing. Um, And then eventually what actually happened from that competition, I decided, okay, hey, like we got to step our game up now. Like it's not enough. I can't be alone lugging these boards back and forth, 12 boards every day. I can't spend, you know, six hours setting up for a class that takes one hour to teach. Um, like I don't get any return of my own investment in time and it's so time consuming and so hard. And I was in the sun all the time. I realized like, Hey, number one, like I have to be smarter about how I teach this so that I can spend less time on the water so I can teach more classes because I was getting so drained from all the setup that I was doing alone without any help that I could teach one or two classes max a day. And then I was wiped out. So I started getting a little smarter. I started booking classes on times where Dennis was off. He started working a little less, um, I got an assistant, someone that came and helped with the stuff and with the anchors, and I was able to add more classes to the schedule so that there was more space to fill because I just got smarter about how I taught. And then I started marketing in a better way. I printed flyers that were really neat. And on the flyer, I put like taught by a certified teacher, <laughs> you know, which was my little elbow to these other people that were teaching that weren't certified, which again, like, like, you know, it doesn't have to be catty at all. Like I'm all for people should <laughs> clearly educate themselves before they start teaching yoga. Absolutely. Um, But the way I was doing it was just out of this caddy way. Like I wasn't doing it from integrity, from a place of integrity then. I mean, I was, I was young and a little bit immature for sure. And then at the end of the day, like this other uh, person who was teaching, they like their classes weren't working out anymore. And probably their genuine intentions of why they wanted to teach sup yoga, like weren't really there. Right. So that class stopped eventually. And then, um, 
moving on, like fast forward a couple of, I don't know, months or maybe a year or something. I don't know. Um, this original place where I was renting most of my boards and I was operating from, uh, I went on vacation and then I came back and they were like, oh, we don't need you anymore. We have a new teacher. So then they had done kind of the same thing. They realized if they do this on their own, they will make more money because they don't have to rent boards to a teacher. They can just pay a teacher a shitty fee for an hour and then they will make a lot more. So I had another moment of like, oh my God, competition. But, but then by then it was growing to such a big thing that I realized, okay, I can't you know, put all this effort and energy into creating something. And then when it starts snowballing, other people pick up on the idea because it's good. And then I, I'm going to start pulling back and say, stop, stop, stop. You know, it doesn't work that way. You have to let go. You have to invite other people to excel. You have to invite other people to shine and to also step into that community and to grow something awesome. Because truth is, if you come to Aruba, you go to Palm Beach, you'll see a bunch of sup yoga now. Like there's sup yoga over there, there's sup yoga over there, and you'll see us somewhere in the middle. And most people that come practice, like our classes are always full, we're thriving, we're doing really well. Um, and these other businesses are also thriving. So my idea or what I was under the belief was that I can't thrive if other people are thriving in the same business. That is not true at all. So those things are not at all mutually exclusive. You know, we can all thrive together. And when people come to Aruba and they see all these places to do sup yoga, chances that they're actually going to try yoga is way bigger than if there's only one tiny little company that offers it on the island because we're visible now. Like sup yoga is kind of everywhere. So at the end of the day now, like I'm really, really grateful I had that experience and I'm grateful that I was able to, in hindsight, see how catty I was and how that feeling of competition was just making myself frustrated. And it's not a professional thing to do. So rule number one for any teacher listening, if you feel that sort of um, lack, right? If you're looking at other teachers and you're comparing yourself and or you feel like you had a great idea or something unique that you're offering in class and someone else picks it up and you get upset, all this stuff, like there is something underlying there that you need to deal with for you. And talking about it or spreading this negativity is only going to reflect poorly off of you. So never, ever, ever in a million years talk to people <laughs> about these feelings, like specifically not your students, not um, people in the business, studio owners, you know, keep them to yourself, um, vent with your family or with your friends, but try to do so in a responsible way where you can get to the root of why you're feeling this lack in the first place, right? Um, so this is for me at least one one really clear example of um, of learning. And I'm really glad we learned because we grew from that. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. How do you fit work, friend and family time, exercise, cleaning and cooking healthy meals all into one single day? It can feel impossible to do. And too often we sacrifice what we eat on our list of priorities. But the food we eat powers almost everything else on that list. So fuel your life well with Sunbasket, a weekly meal delivery service that sends you organic and clean ingredients for healthy, delicious dinners. Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient to cook yummy meals at home, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Just go to Sunbasket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes with options like paleo, gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, and much more. You'll receive organic and clean ingredients directly to your door that are pre measured with easy to follow step-by-step -step instructions. Now you can cook delicious seasonal meals in your own kitchen in 30 minutes or less. There is something for every healthy journey and every busy lifestyle with Sunbasket. For all of you listeners in the U.S., go to sunbasket.com slash yoga today to learn more and to get $35 off of your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash yoga for $35 off. sunbasket.com slash yoga so many great questions. I don't know if I'm going to be able to cover them all. When I dive into storytelling, man, I know I talk a lot. I'm sorry. Um, someone asked, so how can we as yoga teachers make ourselves stand out and be unique in the community while supporting other teachers wholeheartedly? And this is a really good question. And I love how this is phrased as well, because this at the end of the day is how we want to operate. We want to focus on our offerings and make sure that we can stand out and be unique and have people come to our classes because they genuinely want to be there while continuing to support our other yoga teacher friends. And that also goes for studio owners. Like studio owners need to support other studio owners and we need to share the community and not be competitive and catty about it. Um, and I have one or two stories here that, that ties really well into this question. Um, 
One story is, so there's another yoga studio here on the island that's been existing for a really long time. It's a really small studio. Um, And the owner of that studio, I'm not really friends with her, but I took a few classes there like years and years ago. And I was worried when I opened the studio here, you know, I was really, really cautious. I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I also know like, hey, we're opening Island Yoga. It's a 18,000 square foot space. It's ginormous. It's big. We have a big community. It's going to be really busy. But I was really hoping that we would rally the Aruban community and invite and uh, open new people's eyes to the practice of yoga. I am not opening the studio thinking I'm going to steal whatever existing students are on the island practicing at another place. Like, absolutely not. Um, So we opened a studio and I was, you know, I invited uh, all the other teachers on the island that work here and that teach here. I invited everyone and had like a little speech about the community and like, you know, I really hope we can all co-create and we're going to be inviting teachers here to the studio and they're all super welcome to join so we can all grow together and learn together and just make yoga grow on the island and then this other studio owner was here and she was super friendly and super said she was really proud of me and the vibe was really great and really awesome and then fast forward like a week and I start seeing these social media posts um, coming from that studio page. So this other yoga studio on the island um, talking about us, about island yoga in a really negative way, like in a really, really negative way. So there would be a post like, um, like here at this genuine yoga studio, we do not adhere to social media. Uh, we do not believe our guru lies on the internet. Uh, you do not need to have millions of followers to teach yoga. Like, you know, little, super clear. Uh, because, I mean, it's very clear. Like, I have millions of followers on social media. I opened a yoga studio. Like, hello, I'm right here. Super clear. Like, they were like little backhanded comments at, like, island yoga, bad. This studio, good. <laughs> you know? Um, and then when I teach, of course the room, like it's really full. And then they started making posts about like, come to our studio. We will make sure you have a mat length between each mats. We will never pack the room. Uh, and we pack the room here, you know, like a lot of those posts, like a lot, a lot, a lot. I had to actually, you know, there's a feature on Facebook. You can hide someone's posts. I didn't want to unfollow or unfriend because I didn't want to create drama, but it was just kind of breaking my heart to watch that every day. And it was triggering me like crazy, like, Hey, and then I felt you know, I have done nothing but try to be like super friendly. And, you know, this other place, they teach hot yoga there. So if someone asks us for hot yoga or Bikram style yoga, I would send them there all the time because we don't offer that here. So I was really, you know, doing my best for us to coexist here and have things be good. And then she was clearly not having that. And she was, you know, super upset. And these posts, they kept getting like nastier and nastier. And it was really clear that it was about us. So I had to just hide it because I couldn't see it. And it was triggering this side of me that wanted to kind of snap back. You know what I mean? This immature ego side of me that that would be like, okay, well, should we post (laughs) to our Facebook page? Like, come here, we're not going to talk smack about other (laughs) studios on the internet. Like, come here where like all our teachers are actually certified or come, you know, all this stuff that I was just like venting with Dennis, like, should we do something similar? And he was like looking at me like with kind of sad eyes. He's like, come on, you know, like this is not who we are. Just, just drop it. Like she's just operating out of fear. And then he was really beautifully able to, he's like, look at this from her side. She has had this studio for years here. It's really small. Yoga is really small on the island. And then all of a sudden he's like, island yoga becomes like Walmart. Like we're this big, big studio with this big community. Bam. Of course she's fearful. Of course she's worried. Like maybe there is a way that you can calm her a little bit instead of fueling this fire. And I actually took him telling me that for me to realize like, oh wait, like, you know, I don't have anything to worry about in terms of lack, you know, in terms of abundance, like the studio is busy. I knew it was going to be, it's going great. You know, I don't have that worry. I don't have to engage with that sort of behavior. So all I did, you know, I didn't write anything. I didn't reach out. I didn't say anything. I didn't get triggered or, you know, respond. Um, I just sat down and I did what I could to send her love. So whenever I would, you know, one of those posts would pop up, I would just take a breath and I would remember like, okay, this is coming from a place of fear. She's scared that at the end of the day, she's not going to be able to pay her bills. Like that's a genuine fear, fear of providing for yourself. You know, she's not that type of mean person. She's just operating from fear. And maybe there's something that I can do to calm that space in her. Right. So the more the moment I started doing that and it was nothing I wasn't engaging with her, it was just a mindset for myself, those posts stopped coming. 
like it was really interesting like around that same time that she just stopped posting those things and stopped talking badly about us to other people in the community um and then a couple of weeks later all of a sudden i see like they had new specials from the studio and they were exactly the same specials that we had the same like introductory packages and like everything kind of copy pasted from our from our studio and then another week later they had uh taken our same membership management company which is a really small like customized thing that we use they had adopted the same thing and I was like okay well here we go you know so for her like and now I could see this other end like that that was me with a sup yoga I was like panic panic fearful fearful talking badly about this other teacher for no reason you know just from fear and then I realized hey I'm gonna step my game up now you know and then I started improving and I started excelling and I started getting better and better and better and now we're at a place I mean we're one year in like both studios are thriving in totally different ways we have different clientele there's no bad blood. We see each other, we hug, we say hi, like everything's fine. Everything's great. Um, but there was a moment there where if I would have engaged and fueled that fire of fear, that fire of the ego, for sure, things would not be good now. <laughs> I mean, for sure. And fueling that kind of stuff, it always comes back around. So um, yeah, recommendation number two, if you are in that space right now where someone else is being catty toward you or talking badly about you or trying to harm or hurt your business, um, you know, take the high road, just take the high road every time, take the high road every single time. Uh, remember that everything you send out does come back around. So if you can invite some love into that situation and realize that no one speaks badly about another person or tries to harm you in any way without suffering themselves, like, Oh, of course, of course. Every piece of suffering we inflict on other people comes from a way bigger suffering that we carry within ourselves. So if you can, just send more love, send more love, send more love. And I also find that um, when it comes to supporting other teachers, the more you do that, uh, the more people you're going to get in your classes. <laughs> And that's really true. So if you know that there's other teachers in your community that are offering different things, like I would find something specific about each teacher that you cannot offer, you know? So like this other place over there, they do hot yoga. We don't offer that. I push that all the time. Um, we have teachers at the studio, of course, that do different things. Like some are amazing with anatomy and the body. And for some people, that's not their strength, right? And someone teaches amazing meditation and someone doesn't. And, you know, find what you can highlight in other teachers that maybe you are not great at yourself. So when someone asks, hey, I really want to learn about this stuff. Like I want to learn about traditional philosophy. I want to learn about the eight limbs. I want to go here. I want to, you know, study this. If that's not your forte, don't pretend that it is don't pretend that it is. If you're faking it, it's going to come out eventually. So don't pretend that you know everything, but actually have that go to other teacher that you can send someone to. And if they go there, they're going to say, hey, so-and-so sent me here. And that teacher is going to go, what? That's amazing. And then their whole energy toward you is going to shift to a really positive space. And the next time someone asks them for something specific that they know you do, they're going to send people your way. So just the more open, loving communication we keep with each other and the more we can support and actually promote each other, um, the more thriving we're all going to be because all of that love comes back around. So recommendation number three, support other people as much as you can. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. If you watch my Instagram stories, you know that my family and I spend the happiest mornings cuddled in our bed. Snuggling into a soft bed at night instantly melts away a long day, and waking up to cozy mornings in bed with my husband and baby always sets the mood for a day led with love. Our time in bed has made even more sweet by the comfiest bedding, bedding from Parachute. Parachute creates its bedding and bath linens with conscious standards that I'm proud to support. Parachute manufactures its products in family-owned factories in Europe's regions that are renowned for creating amazing bedding. Each product is carefully crafted by fairly paid employees, and the fabric is 100% natural, made without any use of chemicals or synthetic softeners. Parachute also gives back both locally to Habitat for Humanity and globally to the United Nations Foundation Nothing But Nets. With a modern design of timeless natural color palettes inspired by Venice Beach and premium fabrics that get softer with every use, your bedding creates an absolutely beautiful impact in your home and in our world. Go check it out for yourself. Visit parachutehome.com slash yoga girl and you can get free shipping and returns. When you're there, check out the new baby collection, including swaddle blankets and luxurious cashmere baby blankets as well. My baby Leah Luna loves her crib and sleeps soundly with her parachute bedding. See for yourself, everyone in your family will love this next level sleep experience. Visit parachutehome.com slash yoga girl for free shipping and returns. Try it out for 60 nights and if you don't love it, just send it back. No questions asked. Go to parachutehome.com slash yoga girl 
today. And now I don't want to sound like, you know, I don't want to want to sound like it's all butterflies and rainbows over here. And for me, it's always easy because, of course, it's not always easy. And I have my own challenges and my own struggles. And I've shared in a, a lot of the recent podcasts that I am this year very dedicated to my personal development, which for me requires looking at some of my own behavior and my own shortcomings. And I can definitely see that I've had in the past this sort of pattern of Um, let me phrase this right. Um, so whenever someone leaves me, if that makes sense, I immediately can take a relationship that was good and I can turn it bad. So I'm, and of course, like I'm doing a lot of inner work here, but uh, I come from a from a past of uh, a lot of abandonment in my past, a lot of death, uh, suicidal, depressed mom who tried to commit suicide several times. My dad left me when I was little all of this stuff. So I definitely have abandonment issues. And this manifests or shows itself, this wound opens up whenever someone um, exits my life for whatever reason. Uh, and specifically in business, I don't know why. I think there's something about business. Um, a team, one of my teachers told me once that you can tell everything you need to know about a person from how they treat what's in their pocket. And I was like, what do you mean what's in their pocket? Pocket, money, <laughs> you know, how we act and react around money and how money plays a part in our lives. Um, it, it's a really good indication for how we show up in life because, and it's not about money of, you know, material stuff and getting rich and all this stuff, but providing for ourselves, right? So feeling provided, it's our basic form of security, knowing that we can provide for ourselves and for our family. It's a really big thing. And some people are really trusting and they know that they're always cared for and have this very relaxed, trusted, grounding attitude. Uh, and some people don't, right? Always feel like we're lacking and we have to fight really hard to make ends meet. And no matter how much we have, we're never going to have enough. And I definitely come from that place of lacking. And that place of lack or that fear of lacking shows itself and opens that wound whenever I have any form of abandonment uh, in my life. And abandonment doesn't even mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a grown woman. <laughs> I have a really beautiful family. I have a great relationship with both my parents today. But that wound of being abandoned is still there. And it shows up uh, again and again, often in business. So for instance, moments when, uh, when I have to really, you know, check myself and when things get really challenging for me uh, are often related to when someone on the team, for instance, if someone quits, uh, we had a teacher recently um, at Island Yoga that left. And honestly, like I've done a lot of soul searching around this now. Now I'm like, why was this such a big deal for me? <laughs> Because you know, I was able to kind of loop back around and, 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 and be okay with it now. But then when it happened, I was so distraught about it. And it was actually a teacher who, um, who I never practiced with, you know, it wasn't my go-to teacher of like my favorite teacher that I always practice with at the studio or a teacher that gives me something special or nothing like that. It was just, um, I don't know. And she really wanted to do her own thing, which was really evident. It showed up in the team. So in Island, at Island Yoga, I like to build team and like team Island Yoga. So who's going to be there carrying the flag for the studio and just be all in a hundred percent. And this teacher was just someone who was really clear from the start, like wanted to do her own thing and things outside of Island Yoga. So I think maybe from day one, it was, wasn't a great fit, you know, no big deal. And sometimes, you know, you can just part ways. You don't have to have any bad blood. It doesn't need to be a deep personal underlying issue or a fight or anything like that. We just part ways because it's time. No big deal. But we decided she was going to leave and it was, you know, and I got so sensitive about it. What is wrong? What did we do? What did she do? Doesn't she like us? I was going over and over with Dennis like, oh my God, something has happened. And he was like, you know, sometimes people just want to do something else. Like not everything has this underlying you know, drama, like don't make this into drama because there is no drama here, but I'm a very dramatic person. And I was like, but there is something there. There's like, a da -da 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 -da. he says, no, there's nothing there. We're all going to be friends after this. It's all going to be fine. Just like, you know, let it go, let it go. So I did my best to try to let it go. Like, okay, okay, moving on. Um, and then she had her last day. We sent her flowers and like a really nice card and wishing her well and all this stuff. I saw her in the grocery store. We hug, like everything's fine. Um, and then the day after her last day teaching at the studio, literally the day after teaching her last class at the studio, um, we have every single year at Island Yoga, we have, or not Island Yoga, actually I teach it normally. We've done for the past seven years, I've hosted 108 sun salutations, uh, somewhere on the island. So as a way to ring in the new year. So January 1st, always in the afternoon, uh, I host this class where we do 108 
sun salutes and we set our intentions and it's just it's super sweaty super awesome it's a really really beautiful way to start the year and there's never been any of these yoga malas anywhere else on the island because I always invite all the teachers so usually every teacher that's on the island comes and we all do them together it's not a lead class but we all practice side by side so it's a really nice community building thing and last year uh, we had the first one at Island Yoga. The year before that, we had it in the old building that was where Island Yoga stands now, which was a bar, so a really dodgy place. I've done them on the beach. We did them in the National Park one year and a rental house another year. It's been like all over, always. And this uh, teacher is always there. She took her first like real yoga class with me in one of those yoga malas like seven or eight years ago, a long time ago. And then we have the 108 sun salutes the way we do every single year. Uh, and this was also something that I had dubbed like my thing because I've done it for seven or eight years here. It's like every year I host it and everybody comes together and we do it together. And then we had the class here and half of the people that were booked didn't show, which never happens, never happens. We had 30 people that didn't come, that didn't give us any notice. They didn't say, hey, I'm sick or I'm, I'm hungover from New Year's Eve or whatever. They just didn't come. So what was a full class, we had turned a lot of people down because it was the room was full. Um, half of the people didn't even show. And I thought it was so strange. Like the vibe was just, I just got this feeling like, oh, like where are our people? Like what happened? And then we do the mala. I had like a really awful feeling when, we're, when I was practicing. It just didn't sit right. And then I find out afterwards that this teacher that had just left us the day before had hosted her own private 108 sun salutes uh, at her new place where she's going to teach. And she had not made like a public uh, event, I guess because she didn't want us to know it was happening, but she had contacted these people one by one in private to tell them, come to my thing, don't go there. And it just broke my heart. <laughs> like I could cry a little bit. Oh my God, if I cry right now, this will be the fifth consecutive podcast <laughs> where I cry. It just broke my heart so completely, completely. And not at all about, you know, community or clients or students or money like not that but the fact that like she left and we were on good terms and then she kind of had to go and do that and she hosted it at the same exact hour that we had ours and I was just like I was talking to Dennis I'm like hey like all she had to do was not do that <laughs> like you know what's the point in having this one class once a year that's like our thing why would she to me that felt like such a mean thing to do like and I took it so personal so personally like it was like a like a knife in the back toward me and I cried in the evening I was super sad I was like okay like you know what did we do to deserve this and we always treat her well I thought we were parting in a good way now we're not good anymore like if I see her now how am I gonna pretend that we're okay we're not okay now I feel so hurt da, 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 da. And I spent easily a couple of weeks like completely heartbroken over this. I don't know. This to me just didn't feel cool at all. And then now, of course, I've come back around. <laughs> okay, it's been a month. But because um, I meditated enough on this. And what I did is I journaled on this. And I don't know. There's something about writing stuff down. So when I write things down as to why I feel like this person harmed me. And on paper, it looks kind of stupid. <laughs> Like there's something about seeing your words on paper, like reflected back at you, you know, like I'm upset that she in secret uh, wrote our students and hosted an event at the same time as ours uh, with our people without telling us. And, you know, and it's just like I was reading it and I was like, oh, my God, what am I, five years old? <laughs> like, like, come on. OK, you know, it's OK to be hurt. Yes. And I'm going to I'm going to say that I'm not saying that you should never be hurt about anything. Like, of course, it's OK to be hurt. I still don't think that this was a cool thing to do. Like there, there would have been a more loving way to deal with the exit that would have left our relationship in a much better place. Like, that's what I believe. I still believe that. I haven't seen her since then, so I don't know what, what this relationship is like now. But is it worthwhile for me to have sleepless nights about what this other teacher did one time three weeks ago in a class? Like, is it worthwhile for me to waste energy and time and tears and asking questions and what did I do and why did this happen? Da, 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 da. You know, so my reaction to this thing is way bigger, runs way deeper than what actually you know, what reality actually warrants. And it's because it's connected to this abandonment, like for me, because she left and then I was already like, oh my God, she's leaving, she's leaving. Every time anybody leaves for whatever reason, like whatever it is, um, I always freak out a little bit and that freak out comes from this wound and sometimes it trips me up in, in different ways. But 
no, it's not worthwhile for me to waste all this energy and time like obsessing over this stuff. No, you know, and truth of the matter is like if she wants to leave, she should leave. You know, there's probably a reason she wants to leave. She wasn't happy at Island Yoga. Maybe there's something there that she isn't telling me or whatever. I don't know. But for me, the best way is to just let her go and wish her well and wish her abundance and wish for her classes to be thriving and big and for this community to continue growing. You know, so I had that shift from journaling, from obsessing about it. I had all that stuff. Um, and I started doing the same thing that I did, you know, years ago with the sup yoga and then with this other teacher. And then now where I would sit down and just send her love. So every time I would have a thought pop up about like, oh my God, lack, oh my God. Like she was so mean. Oh my God. Uh, I would just be like, okay, like take a breath, send her love. And I would try to envision for her really full classes, like really And I'm saying this now, okay, I'm getting a little teary-eyed too, because this is a hard thing for me to do. It's a hard thing for anyone to do that. If you have a person that you feel competitive with and you feel like, a, you know, there's a little thorn there, there's a little, like there's something that isn't good, like a little rock in your shoe. And, you know, the mind gets really busy of all the reasons why that person did you wrong, da, 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 da. to actually turn it around and like genuinely send them well wishes and genuinely imagine and envision for them and help them manifest something truly great and abundant. Like it's a hard shift. It's a big shift. And when I arrived at that, I could feel this like total relaxation of my heart. Like my heart just mellowed for a second. So now, okay, I can do it right now. I'm envisioning her teaching at her place, which is another place on the island. And instead of like being fearful of, oh my God, oh my God, students and clients and oh, what if we don't have enough? Just envision that space filled to the brim with people. Like a line to sign up to her classes and how that place is just thriving and abundant with people from that area and, you know, going there every day. Like how wonderful for her, how wonderful for this island to have another place with really full classes. How wonderful for Aruba to be known as this place for yoga. Like that didn't exist a couple of years ago at all. Like what if we could become like, you know, like you go to Costa Rica, you know, in Costa Rica, there's yoga everywhere. What if Aruba became that place? What if we start attracting so many yogis and yoga communities from all over the world and more yoga places pop up and then we're going to get, you know, body workers come because they come attached and we're going to get, you know, vegetarian and vegan restaurants. And we're going to get all these cool healing circles and healers. And, you know, like the island might change completely to my benefit if I can try to manifest abundance of yoga and yoga students for my competitors. I don't know if I'm making any sense <laughs> right now, but I have goosebumps speaking right now. So I kind of know that this is true. So I don't know. I'm on lesson number four or five. I don't know why I start counting because I can never remember where I'm at. Um, but wishing our competitors well, doing more than wishing our competitors well, but actually doing our part in manifesting abundance for the whole community can only be good for us as well. Really, really can only be good for us as well. What we give out, we get back. That's just, that's the case. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I feel really light and happy just speaking those words. And then, you know, anybody else might look at me like, how in, can I be worried about competition? Like, what sort of competition do I really have? Like, of course, yes, it's sort of silly that I even have these thoughts because I run a thriving business. We have millions of people on social media. It's always busy. Like, a retreat sell out over a year in advance. Like, I have no competition to worry about. But this just shows that competition is not a material thing. It's not a true reflection. The feeling of, com of comp competition or the, the tense sensation of competing with someone does not correlate or does not have to actually make sense with what reality is because it's all in our fucking heads. <laughs> it's all in our minds. We make this stuff up in our minds. These ideas of not having enough, of lacking, of things not going our way and what if, what if, what if, what if, and he said he shouldn't. It's all in our heads, you know? So even thriving, abundant people can have these fears uh, of lacking. And my true guess is that the most abundant people are the ones that operate from the, from the most abundant place. That just makes so much sense. You know, the more we operate from a place of lack, the more we're going to struggle, the more we're going to lack. So instead of just sitting here thinking, how can I get more for myself? How can I make more? How can I, 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 you know, how can we 
all together thrive? How can we grow? How can we grow this community together? And what a wonderful thing if we as yoga teachers could actually talk more about this stuff and actually vent our fears and be honest with each other and say, hey, that thing over there didn't feel good for me, but I wish you well. Or hey, do you want to collaborate? Should we work together somehow? Or hey, should we practice together? You know, that's another thing. Lesson number whatever. Um, Practice with these people really do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. The best cure, if you have a teacher out there that you feel, you know, something is off or you feel like there's a little competition, there is something that isn't good, go take their class. Show them that you are supportive of their class. Go take their class and not with like a judgy attitude of like, oh, you suck. No, no, no. Go take their class and actually immerse yourself in that class and enjoy it. And you're going to see that there's gold in that teacher too. There's a reason as to why you feel like there's competition there, probably because you're a little bit the same, right? Probably because you have a lot in common, probably because if you overcame the sense of cattiness or competition, you guys would be epic friends. Like you would be really good friends because you have so much in common. That's it. Like we never get rubbed the wrong way by people that are totally different from us, you know, that by people that have a totally different personality or that different vibration no we're gonna be feel rubbed the wrong way by people that are similar to us so there is friendship to be found there for sure there's a little key i like to think of it as like every time you go through your life every time you find that little speed bump like a bump in the road you know or you feel like life throws you a little curveball like take that curveball and realize like there is something epic here like it's not just a curveball thrown your way for no reason but Universe has decided that, hey, you've been a little stagnant for a while. Maybe things have been a little too easy or too much in your comfort zone. It's time for you to evolve. Evolve now. We can only grow and evolve through discomfort. It's the only way. So see that curveball as a way of like, okay, wait, how can I check myself? And instead of just reflecting off to other people and, you know, feeling fearful and because of things they do, like take responsibility for how you feel and actually act in a way that will grow you, you know, that will actually help you learn and become a better teacher and a better human being, you know, and if you sprinkle that growth around, it's going to come back around through other people doing that same type of work. I really, 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 really believe that that's the case. (sighs) So wherever you are in the world, wherever you are, also whichever industry you're in, because this applies, you know, way beyond yoga, of course, of course. Sit with your shit, you know, manifest what you want to manifest, but do it with integrity, do it from a place of truth and do it with a genuine intention. And that's also a really big piece that goes into this, you know, do it with a genuine intention. Uh, I don't think, I don't want to think that anybody becomes a yoga teacher or opens a studio um, just from the pure place of making money, because trust me, this is a really hard industry to make money in. Um, most likely people that are out there that are beca- becoming teachers or opening studios, it's because you feel so passionate about this practice. You feel so passionate about this teaching um, and you want to spread it to the world. So keep that intention in mind again and again and again, because the more we get into this tricky stuff, trust me, I wish I could spend much less <laughs> time with the tricky end of things and the business end of things and much less time with the industry part of things and just more time with the philosophy and tradition and core values of the practice and the teaching, because that's what I love. That's why I'm here, right? So if you ever find yourself completely immersed and caught up in all of this mind stuff and the industry of things, remember why you're here, right? Remember what it is you're looking to offer to the world. Remember what brought you here in the first place and return to that intention of wanting this to grow, right? Of wanting to give another person their first ever true aha yoga moment. Like that's, that's why we do this, you know, for that look in their eyes of like, oh, this is it, you know, come back to that again and again, and just anchor in that intention of wanting to do something really good and to lead with love and things are going to come your way. Trust me. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening. I love you all. I love you all. I love you all. I love you all. Let's keep this conversation going. Okay. So if anybody listening, if you've ever had your own story about competition or about um, something challenging, you know, share it, share it, share it, share it. Uh, I'm going to post this to social media. So there'll be a, a social media post about competition. Share your stories there. Let other people read them. So we know that we all go through these struggles and we can use it as fuel to create something awesome. Truly, from the heart. Always from the heart. I will see you all next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of these on rachelbraithen.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And of course, thank you to my sponsors, LaCroix, Goop, Sunbasket, and Parachute. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.